Good afternoon, brethren. Good to uh, be here. A uh, beautiful location. First time we've made in this hall. And looks like room to grow, but that's what we all need, isn't it? That's, that's our goal in life, room to grow. And according to God's plan, we had an outstanding Council of Elders meeting. And uh, I often think about it as I head back to our area. I always come back I, every time. I always come back encouraged and encouraged about the focus, about our leadership, and about all our headquarters ministry and staff. It's, uh, it's a blessing. You know, every now and then my wife have the privilege of traveling across western U.S. Uh, in the region. And we are amazed at times of the overwhelming beauty of God's creation, the magnificence of God's creation. And when we look at times beyond our planet at night, you look out and you see the stars, you see the, the creation, just a hint of the creation out beyond. And we are even more impressed by the creative powers of our God, the great God of the universe, who has created such vastness and such beauty and such harmony. A hundred billion galaxies the size of the Milky Way galaxy each of composing or composed of probably a hundred billion stars. The power of our God is unlimited. We don't even begin to understand the power of our great God. And yet, you know that in a way we can limit the power of this very powerful being. We can limit this being in, in a certain way. In Psalm 78, the story of God's intervention is clear here with Israel as he brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt at the time, and it's recounted for us, part of it at least. And unfortunately, they quickly began to complain and to gripe. They exhibited absolutely no confidence in God's leadership, in his judgment, in his care for them as his people. Let's pick up the story in Psalm 78, verse 40. A couple of verses here, Psalm 78, verse 40. And it says, how often they provoked him in the wilderness. We know that story. We hear it often during the time of unleavened bread. And grieved him in the desert. They grieved the great God, the Logos, the spokesman, the one who became Jesus Christ. Verse 41, yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I read that uh, a couple of months back, and it stood out in my mind. They limited the Holy One of Israel, the great God. They limited God. That's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it, the implication of limiting God? Weak, puny human beings, as we all are. But we could limit the all-powerful God. At first glance, you would say, that's impossible. No one can limit God. No one can restrict God. There is no power great enough to interfere with, to defeat the plan of God, the purpose of God, the agenda of God. But our actions can limit God, as we'll see shortly, can limit God in blessing us. The great God has great plans for all of us, for all his people, eventually all of humanity. But individually, personally, we can limit God in our life from blessing us. And as a loving parent, he is always going to do what's best for us. He loves us. He's the perfect parent, the perfect father. And what is best for us is our spiritual growth, our development in his mindset, his way of thinking. 
And at times, what's best for us may be withholding, withholding certain blessings in our life that we might otherwise receive to learn our lessons, every lesson that we need to understand, developing more of the mind of God, more of the reasoning ability of the great God, and, of course, eventually make it into the family of God. That's God's purpose, His agenda for us individually. We know that was true with ancient Israel. God had intended to lead the Israelites directly into the land of Canaan. didn't happen, did it? It did not happen. The Israelites limited the great God. He wanted to lead them to that land flowing with milk and honey, a beautiful land, a productive land. God had so many blessings in store for them. He intended to pour out on the Israelites in the land of Canaan. And, in fact, they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the great God of Israel and the potential as far as what he had in mind in pouring out the blessings on the nation. And you know Deuteronomy 28, we know, we know the history, what God intended. He intended to take them to Canaan and that land flowing with milk and honey. I won't read but a verse or two here. You know the story, Deuteronomy 28 and verses 1. And you could read all the way through verse 14. I won't take the time. And now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey. That means wholeheartedly. Can we say aggressively? If we can think of it that way, to seek God, the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, as God does us individually, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. What a tremendous blessing. What a future he had in mind for the nation of Israel. And you can read down through those 14 verses. And he said, blessings in the city, blessings in the country, the fruit of their body, the produce of their ground, all the good things of life. Blessings, a basket, and a kneading bowl, and on and on. You could read down through those 14 verses. And on the other hand, of course, God would potentially limit His blessings to them. They could hold God's blessings back if they didn't put their heart into God's purpose. Verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all the commandments and his statutes in which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. It says in verse 16, Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed, cursed shall you be in the country. And on it goes with the various, let's say, penalties that would occur if the Israelites would cut themselves off from following the true God continually. It would limit God's blessings as a wise father, as a wise God. He looks after his own. He knows when to bless. He knows when to withhold. And in turn, they would realize that the path to blessing is only through the Creator, only through the great God, God the Father and Jesus Christ today. And you know, God is working even more closely with us than ancient Israel. We understand that. We understand His purpose. The stakes are much higher for us today. God is offering us the potential to be firstborn, firstfruits in the family of God, to have eternal life. 
beginning of the millennium, in the very family of God. And he must be able to fully trust us individually before giving us responsibility over the lives of perhaps thousands of other human beings in our area. He must be able to trust us, our judgment. In fact, that we trust the great God. We fully trust him and his way of life. Let's, let's look at an example or two of individuals limiting the great God, limiting the great God at least in his ability to bless them as it is. Mark chapter 6, I think we, uh, we know that principle. And Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 6, speaking of his own country, his own territory, where he grew up. Mark chapter 6 and verse 1. And then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Where did he, where did he get this understanding, this wisdom? And what wisdom is this which he is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? Haven't we known him, seen him grow up? Is this not the carpenter we knew in his teens and twenties, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters with us here? So they were offended at him. They, they were familiar with his background. Sometimes we, we make that same mistake, don't, don't we? we? We don't honor those that we could honor. We're familiar with them. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, verse 5, the key verse, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people who had healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went about the villages in the circuit teaching. Incredible, isn't it? Now, he could do no mighty work there. He probably had intention of bringing even greater blessings if they had belief, at least gave him credibility. But they had lack of belief. They doubted. And he could do no mighty work there. The blessings that he would have delivered to those people were limited. And also Luke 13. One more example before we move on. Luke chapter 13 and verse 34. Christ was lamenting over the people of Israel and Jerusalem. And of course, I think anciently all of Israel back through the ages, through the difficulties. Luke chapter 13 and verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Thinking back over the ages, the God of Old Testament Israel, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. And I'm sure he potentially was thinking back over the centuries, how he could have blessed the nation of Israel, how he could have brought great prosperity. Deuteronomy 28 is intention. And yet he said they were not willing. And he goes on to say, See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, 
You shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Incredible, isn't it? Now, they limited the Holy One of Israel over those centuries in Israel and Jerusalem. Very clearly, the evidence is there. We can actually limit our God, at least as far as his intentions, to bless us fully in our lives individually. That's clearly not something we should uh, want to happen, should we? Don't we all want a better life in the present? Don't we all want a better future in the present? In our, in our present lives, that is. Yes, we want the kingdom of God. We want to be part of the family of God. But we want a better life in the present. We want the blessings that God wants for us to receive. Unless we have spiritual blindness, we want God involved in our life. And hopefully we all do. Blessing us for obedience and withholding. Hopefully we want God to withhold blessings when we veer off track. We know God knows what's best for us. We know God wants always what's best for us, for us to succeed, develop more of the mind of the great God, being able to make decisions like God would want us to make, like he himself would make. Let's look at three ways that we may be limiting God, that we could limit the great God. And I know these three points are, are nothing new. You've heard them many times. But think of them in this context then today, in the context of limiting God, of limiting God's blessings in your life that could be if we were wholehearted, if we were focused, if we were aggressive in seeking our God. Three quick points. Number one, number one, we can limit God and his blessings by our lack of confidence in in the great God, involved in our life, our lack of confidence of God's guidance. We can call that a lack of faith. Do we fully trust God guiding our life day by day, decisions financially and every other way in our life? Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. We read here of Christ's illustration in Matthew 6, of how concerned God is for his creation, the intricacies of the vastness of his creation, but also on this planet, but especially for us, future potential members of the family of God. Verse 25, Matthew 6, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't be over-worried about Tomorrow, we do what we can today, we follow God's principles, but don't make your success in life, at least financially, the priority, the idol in your life. And what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, and what you will put on is not life more than food, your bank account, your resources, and the body more than clothing. You know, we need to be clothed, but we can go too far with that, of course. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He is the creator, the designer of all life. And he has so programmed the birds of the field that in reality they take care of themselves by the planning of the great God 
by his genetic design and instinct of every bird and animal on the planet. And he says, are you not of more value than they in this vast, intricate creation on this planet? Which of you, by worrying, by fearing and worrying and stewing, can add one cubit to your stature? We might like to reduce a few inches of our stature horizontally, but you got, we got to do more than worry. we got to do something about it. And so why do you worry about clothing? Why do you worry? In essence, we do need clothing, but why do we make that the main focus of our life, our financial well-being, our struggle, our career, when it should be the very character of the living God? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil and spin. They don't plan. They're, they're genetically engineered. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory... His finery, his coats, and his gold, and I'm sure his crown was not arrayed like one of these. He's saying, you know, there was more planning and design than one lily by the great creator God. The genetic design as an engineer, designing the beauty and harmony and symmetry of a lily, more thought went into that than the clothing, the regal clothing of Solomon himself. Incredible. So Christ's message was, don't agonize over the physical provisions of life. Yes, we take care of our needs. God will take care of our needs. But when things aren't going well in that department, and it happens to most of us at some point in our life, it's probably good for us, and it's time to look for God. It's time to focus on the great God and His provision. Finally, verse verse 30 Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, he's put that thought and design and in the environment, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, various grains, will he not much more clothe you? Is he going to take care of you wherever you are in your nook and cranny of the world? Oh, you of little faith. He's like saying, don't we trust the creator? We look at his creation We see the intensity of the design and his loving care for his creation, and yet we are potentially the pinnacle of his creation, eventually to be full-born sons of God. And he says, oh, you of little faith. Don't we see the evidence in our surroundings? Well, incredible, Christ says, verse 31, as a result, therefore, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Yes, we plan and we prepare, but we don't agonize in anxiety over the financial future. We have a greater future than that. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. If you're his child, he knows it. He looks after us. He protects us. He'll bless us if we trust him. And finally, verse 33, but seek first, I think a key verse, hopefully in all our lives, seek first the kingdom of God, and I think of it also what leads to the kingdom of God, the work of God, the preparation, the external work of God, and number two, his righteousness, in other words, 
the character of the living God within us. Our character developing the mind of God. That's the internal work of God. And all these things will be added to you. In other words, our God is on the job. He takes care of his children. He looks after all of us. And there are times when we might be concerned about where our next meal is coming from or our next job. But if we trust the great God, we're going to go to God continually. We're going to put God first, his kingdom, his work, his very character. And we have that bargain with the great God. He promises to provide our every need if we trust him. Incredible blessing. But there are times. You know, we all here, seated here, to, to whatever degree we know the true God, we have truth. We have understanding, but there are times, of course, when maybe our confidence in God wavers just a little bit, or maybe maybe the bank account is a little bit low, or, or we lose the job, and maybe our confidence in God delivering wavers a little bit. Mark chapter 9 and verse 21. Verse 21, we read, We read of an individual, of course, example of a father here who brought his young son to Christ. And the boy was deaf and mute from an unclean spirit. Now, verse 21, cutting into the thought. So he asked his father, how long, Christ asked his father, how long has this been happening to him, these difficulties in his life? And he said, from childhood... And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now verse 24. Notice verse 24. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Think about that. I believe. Help my unbelief. Incredible. Isn't, isn't that occasionally our own situation? Maybe at times don't. Haven't we gotten there on occasion? We believe. Of course we believe. We have a measure of faith and confidence in our God, but we don't have the supreme confidence in God's response in our life individually. Maybe we assume God is going to ignore us this time, or he's got better things to do. Or maybe he's not focused on our situation at the moment. This is the time when we have to go to God and ask him to help our unbelief, to help our unbelief, to make it real, his purpose, his agenda, and whatever we're going through, we can see the purpose of God as he as he blesses and withhold blessings at time for our own good. So we ask God at times to strengthen our faith, but more than that, to give us more of even the living faith of Jesus Christ as a gift, I'm sure in measure. You know, God doesn't back up the truck and dump a load of faith on us, but we ask for faith. We ask at times for a little more of Christ's faith. And I do from time to time. I want a little more of Christ's faith. You know, he had that ultimate faith, that confidence that God 
would sustain him and even at the end of his life in time resurrect him back to the glory he had from the beginning. You and I don't always have that that level. We don't have that level of faith or confidence. So we ask God, hopefully from time to time, give us more of the living faith of Jesus Christ in measure, but month by month, maybe year by year, to strengthen our own faith, to give us more of that kind of faith, that rock-solid. I think of it as rock-solid confidence, unshakable confidence in the great God and His purpose in our life. So to ask for more of the faith of Jesus Christ, you know, God's going to work circumstances in our life. Sometimes sometimes we'll find ourselves kind of taken to the edge and we'll need God's intervention, His rescue. It could be our health, it could be our finances, it could be our family. But if we go to God, we ask for a greater measure of faith and inevitably God rescues us in one way or another. God strengthens us, encourages us, sometimes perform miracles. We can trust our God. We need that kind of confidence, so in turn, God will bless us. God will pour out greater blessings, blessings that we want, blessings that we need in our life. Well, we can limit our God if we're not fully trusting Him. If we're not showing that kind of confidence in the great God, we can limit His blessings in our life. Number two, a second area that we can limit our God in and His blessings pouring out to us is by a lack of effort in overcoming certain weaknesses in our life. They may be hidden to the average person. Maybe they're not hidden to us. But our lack of effort, we're kind of self-satisfied. We've come a long way, but we know there are things kind of in the closet. I'm speaking of primarily the spirit of the law. Hopefully it's not a letter of the law situation. But we know we have things we have not fully dealt with. We know we have things in our life maybe we're too vain or egotistical or, or too great a need to elevate ourselves in front of others. Whatever the case is, we don't put enough effort. We don't put enough effort in overcoming, in changing ourselves. The tremendous struggle of life. We're told in Isaiah, I'll quote it, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. And again, we know that can apply to us, even small hidden sins in our life. God, at times, I'm sure, is not able to bless us in the way He would like. He's just waiting for us to reach out to change. That's Isaiah 59.2, by the way. And of course, God withholds blessings. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good, good, positive from you. Jeremiah 5.25. So we may not necessarily, hopefully not, be committing a letter of the law type of a sin, the, the letter of the law of the Ten Commandments, but all of us have areas. I think all of us have areas that we know we need to change. Even though we've been in the church for 30, 40 years, we still need to change. We're not as converted, maybe as humble as we ought to be. Our loving God truly wants us to succeed in every way. He wants to bless us 
with abundance, especially spiritually, he's going to work with us. He's a loving parent. He's our personal guide. And he is going to withhold blessings often to get our attention, to, to enable us to see our God working in our life, our need to change. And I suppose our human nature naturally tends to motivate us, I mean, that's the way human nature is, to the lowest level of overcoming that we feel will get us into God's family. And that's expecting way too little of ourselves. God has much greater in mind for us and the blessings that he would like to pour out to us. That's kind of like putting forth the least amount of effort to, to just make it into God's kingdom. Of course, we, we don't want to just make it, do we? We, we, we enjoy the blessings of God in this life. We do want a better life in the present. Obviously, the kingdom of God we do, eternal life. But for now, we want those blessings. Well, it is difficult, as we know. Changing our inner being, our character is hard, isn't it? The most difficult thing to do in life. It's a struggle, but we have help. But it's a struggle. We have to be motivated. We are programmed from birth, of course. Soon after birth, we're affected by our parents, by society, by Satan's system. We absorb the mindset of the world. We struggle. As Paul said, verse chapter 7, let's turn to chapter 7 in Romans, and verse 23. And he expressed, I think, something that's common to us all. Paul said in Romans 7, verse 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. I see human nature in my body. I, I have it. I see it. Warring against the law of God, what I want, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That's the way we all naturally are. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, from this frustration. You know, I try and I fail. And, of course, obviously Paul was not, in this case, he was illustrating a point. He had overcome so much, and yet he was, he was rehearsing our nature that we have acquired. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The cycle. Verse 25, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, is there. He is our, I think of him as our personal trainer along the way. You know what a personal trainer is? Well, he is very closely involved on a daily basis to guide us, to bless us when blessings will benefit us when we're going his way, and to withhold blessings when it is for our good. Withholding blessings can be a blessing in itself. We understand, of course, what God's trying to accomplish in our life. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. In the end, if we understand that, Job 5.17. And also, for whom the Lord loves, all of us, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 3.12. So as God intervenes in our life and gently corrects us, you know, we all realize we need correction, loving correction, 
gentle correction. I ask for gentle correction. I wouldn't want to say, give it to me, let me have it. Uh, no, no, I would fail. I, I like gentle correction. Most children do too. <laughs> gentle correction. Mid-course correction along the way. Absolutely will benefit us in the present, in our physical lives, and of course in the future as well, and forever. And if we want to accelerate the blessings in our present life, blessings are going to benefit us in so many ways. If we want to stop limiting the Holy One of Israel, the great God, and His blessings, then it's time to seek correction, to ask God for gentle correction in our own lives. We know it's going to benefit us. It's not punishment. It's mid-course corrections to keep us from harming ourselves our loved ones, and others. Unfortunately, we, we tend to think of correction as punishment, like God's going to let us have it. And in reality, there could be punishment, but correction in general, when you correct children, you want them to learn, you want them to not harm themselves, to not run out in the street, you want them to have a better life, you love them, so you correct them. Dictionaryreference.com defines corrections this way. Quote, a quantity applied or an adjustment made in order to increase accuracy, as in the use of an instrument or the solution of a problem. A five-degree correction will put the ship on course, end of quote. You know, when a plane, or a ship for that matter, but a plane is traveling toward a destination across country, onboard computers are constantly reading wind speed, altitude, you know, barometric pressure, ground speed, all that kind of thing, with many, many measurements that are uh, equipment that's continually making small corrections. At the same time, these corrections in direction, of course, continually and constantly are made to keep that plane on course. Without small mid-course corrections, if we were flying for maybe uh, San Francisco to New York City or Charlotte, whatever. Uh, in time, without those small one-degree corrections, uh, we wouldn't end up at our destination, would we? I mean, it's, it's needed hundreds and hundreds of tiny mid-course corrections. Without it, we might end up in Cuba or who knows where, Nova Scotia, somewhere. Same is true in our life. If we seek correction, if we ask for gentle correction, we know our loving Father is there for us. He wants what's best for us. He's not going to harm us in that, in that sense. If we act on the correction that we see and receive, you know, in that case, then, if we act on it, we are no longer limiting the Holy One of Israel. The Creator of all life will open the door will open the door for us to God's blessings in our life. He'll bring greater blessings. And so many of those blessings, of course, when I speak of blessings, I'm not, I'm not implying primarily money, though money can be a blessing if we know how to use it. And I'm not implying, you know, something like maybe a Powerball ticket worth $190 million blows across our path or something like that. You know, it's accidentally dropped on the street. Primary blessings in our life are the blessings, first of all, of having our needs met. You know, God promises, we read Matthew 6.33, 
having our needs met physically, financially, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, every way, having those needs met. But there are also blessings, rather, acquiring more of the mind of God. We think of it as the fruit of God's Spirit, such as love and joy and peace, long-suffering. You think about patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it's, it's literally is the mind of God, how He thinks, how He functions. If you could package that mindset, doesn't the world want joy and peace and self-control? Yes, indeed. There are so many seminars. There are so many books written on the subject, self-help seminars, developing, of course, the mind of joy and peace and happiness. And, of course, in the end, we can have it. We know the source. We know the path. It is a beautiful state of mind when we realize the mind of God. And if we, if we had the capacity, you might say, to model that kind of blessing, that state of mind, that, that sense of joy, don't we have an element of joy? Shouldn't there be joy in our life? Things aren't going perfectly in any of our lives, I'm sure. But shouldn't we have an element of joy in our life? You know, we're, we know we're a part of let's say, the team, the future family of God. Uh, God's going to see us through a measure of peace. Things aren't perfect maybe financially in our, in our realm or our health, but we have peace. We're not rattled. We don't have to be. We know God's going to see us through. God's going to see us through to His kingdom. And again, if you had the capacity to sell that to the world, and you didn't mention it came out of the Bible, and you could market that, that state of mind. You'd be a billionaire in time. But we have access to that mindset. We can develop that mindset. A very stable mind. A deeply converted person is very mentally stable. And we have that capacity to have that blessing and more of it as we move closer to the great God and His way of thinking. And we are stable in God, in Christ. Well, we can limit our God's opportunity to bless us, really, literally, in, in the fruit of God's Spirit. God wants to give us His mindset. He wants us to be stable and happy. That is, if we're not open to His guidance and the mid-course corrections. Let me move on to a final point before I close. A third area of and we can limit our God and His blessings in our life. We can, we can cut off the flow, the potential. And that is in, at times, our ineffectual prayer life. How we approach the real God, the true God. You know, you know what I'm speaking of. Just putting in clock time. Maybe praying ritualistically. Or do we put our being, do we put our hearts into our prayers making it real, vital, like we're speaking to a real being, the God of the universe. I remember Mr. Armstrong used to mention, of course, that that was one of the fundamental weaknesses of God's people, of not putting their hearts into their prayers, being genuine with God, speaking to the true God with intensity, 
with feeling, with genuineness. We know the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5, 16. There's much to come from the great God. Effective, fervent, we might say wholehearted prayer. And we know the inverse of that is also true. The ineffective, sleepy time prayer of a child of God accomplishes very little. Very little to be received. Limiting the blessings of the great God in our our life. And as we know, Jesus Christ mentioned in Revelation 3, that the majority of God's people at the end of the age would be lukewarm. And we don't want to be lukewarm, do we? We don't want to be there. We want to be wholehearted. We want to communicate with the great God, not in a lukewarm way, but with a genuine, wholehearted way. Well, our prayer life is definitely one area. We could be lukewarm. You know, if we're not genuine, if we don't speak to the great God like He's real, like He's listening, like He counts. God gave encouragement in many ways to Israel. He said in one place, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and and turn from their ways, their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, we know we're not the nation, the physical nation of Israel, that is, as a people, but we are the living church of God. And hopefully we don't have wicked ways in our life, but we all need to move a little closer to God in a genuine way. And that begins with getting real in our approach to God, in our communication, in our conversation with the great God. And hopefully, we, we, yes, we do at times focus on our needs and our desires, but hopefully we're also focused, as Paul instructed the Colossians, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving as we pray, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word. We remember that? To speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 3. Are you asking God to open doors in your life? Are you asking God to open doors for the work of God's sake? Hopefully, hopefully we are. Hopefully it's real to us. It is God and only God who can open doors to foreign lands and nations, whether it's India or China or wherever, the rest of the world. We can't do that by ourselves and of and by ourselves. You know, brethren, God reads a lot from our prayers. And, you know, I'm sure that if we're not concerned about His purpose on the earth, If that's not one of the primary focuses of our conversation with the great God, God knows we don't yet have the right set of priorities in our life. And we are limiting the Holy One of Israel to bless us individually, but also potentially collectively. Yes, we can limit our God, the Holy One of Israel. Well, in conclusion... 
Let's not limit our God. Let's not, so to speak, limit the power of the great God, limiting the Holy One of Israel, the blessings He would like to give us individually, in our lives, and collectively. We all have greater potential, every last one of us, and God would love to bless us more and more than He already has. He's a God of love, a God of blessings for obedience. Let's allow Him to bless us as we grow in faith, a rock-solid confidence in the great God and His involvement in our life. As we put effort into overcoming our own weaknesses, as I mentioned, you know, even the small hidden weaknesses and looking for God and His wise and gentle correction for our own good. And finally, as we put our hearts into our prayers, becoming zealous, genuine, true Philadelphians, even in our prayer life. We can individually then and collectively move to a higher level of spiritual power by a closer alignment with the great God, by removing the restraints on our God, by removing to that degree the limits of our God, of His vast power, His intent to bless us in this life. And in turn, as we do that in our lives individually, it will remove the limits from God's potential blessings on us collectively as a people, as a church, as a work. And God will bless us. You know, that's his desire. Just as we want to bless our own children as they grow and mature and prosper, our God has even a greater desire to bless us in this life. Let's fulfill that that responsibility. Let's enable God to bless us fully and abundantly.